Our text this morning is going to be in Romans. As we've been kind of walking through Romans, it'll be in Romans chapter chapter 3, looking specifically at verses 20 through 26. I probably should say, just in case there's a few of you out there who uh, don't have Facebook and don't follow my wife on Facebook, uh, we found out that we are having a girl. So I uh, found that out Friday, so that's exciting news for the, the Calica. Would you have applauded for a boy, too? Is that just a general, just, just a general applause? We know! Yay! It was so funny, though. Okay, so here's a small, small Kelica anecdote. Emery is pumped. Like, all week, we're going to take her to the, uh, to the ultrasound thingy, right? And so uh, she doesn't realize yet that everything that happens in a doctor's office is boring. And so she's really pumped. And so we get, you know, we get her there, and she's like, I just can't wait, I just can't wait. And we're sitting there, and, like, the doctor is measuring this, and it's like just, there's just, like, buttons that are going, you know, she's doing all this stuff, and Emery's, like, dying. She's laying on me, like, you know, like, when are we going to find out, and I'm like, okay, it's time, we're going to find, she's like, all right, we're going to look, and so she's, you know, zooming in at the, you know, area, and uh, the doctor's like, okay, it's a girl, and Emery's like, can I have the Kindle, like, like, all that, and a Kindle, anyway, kids, kids, right, kids, so um, we are in a series, and it's been a bit of a heavy series, and, and I know that, and I hope that, uh, that that doesn't dissuade you or discourage you or has in any way um, uh, made you sort of uh, doubt what we've been talking about, because uh, heavy stuff, I think, is really important. We've been talking, I've, and I've been, been trying to be as upfront as I can about uh, what sin is, what it does, what it's like, how it affects our lives, but hopefully we're beginning and we're, we're really even at this point turning into and, and leaning hard into observing the grace of God. And, and we can't understand the good news until we have a good view of the bad news. And the grace of God is, is so incredible and so powerful. It says that sin no longer holds us under its control. It says that Satan no longer has victory over our lives. It says that death no longer has its sting. And if you've ever been in a room where somebody is about to die or somebody is dying or somebody is dead and the family around are just wondering, oh man, that person's gone, it's over, it's done. If you've watched death happen, it stinks, it's awful, it's terrible, it's painful, it's suffering. Death, the Bible says, no longer has a sting for the power of sin is death, but the grace of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so we're leaning hard into these great, big, powerful words that speak salvation, that speak hope, that speak forgiveness. When the angel uh, comes to Joseph, maybe, maybe you'll remember this story. It's becoming close to Christmas. I hope you all have your Christmas lists and music's going this week we finished Apocalyptic Christmas album 10, so I have a new Christmas al- you know, li- music list if you're interested. I can get that to you. Um, the story is that, that this angel comes to Joseph, and because Mary's pregnant, and he's like, Joseph's like, I didn't do it, so you know, there's a problem. And the angel says to Joseph, you, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to name him Jesus, Yeshua. Why is that? Yah saves, which is the name Yeshua. Because he will save his people 
from their sins. Because he will be Emmanuel. He will be God with us. And when John the Baptist is, is standing around, you might remember him. He's kind of an important character from the Bible. If you don't, that's okay. But, but he's an important character in the Bible. He's standing around with all these people who, who are following him. And they're listening to John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he's like the, he's like the, the rock star preacher of the day. He's the one that everybody, everybody's buying this dude's books. Okay, That's who he is. And he sees Jesus coming. He says, stop. Everybody, stop. Look, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes preaching and, and teaching. And everybody who's sort of, sort of on the in on what, you know, what you're supposed to do to follow God, they're watching Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, you're not hanging out with all the right people. In fact, you're doing the exact opposite. You're hanging out with terrorists and thieves and traitors. You're hanging out with all of the people that no one else would ever be caught dead with. What is that about, Jesus? And Jesus says, are you kidding me? I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come to find the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, the lost daughter. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. The darkness is powerful. The sin in our lives is tremendous. The power of Satan is enormous. Death is looming. And in in the face of all of that, the scriptures say Jesus saves. Completely, totally, fully saves. That's what this is all about. That's what all of these words are drawing us into. That we could see the immensity of this doctrine. The immensity of what God has done to make a way for lost children like you and like me. And so we're studying. Helps if I turn it on. Maybe. Nope. Is that me or you? Still not me. We were talking about soteriology, right? Salvation, that's a soter part, and ology, the study of. So we're talking about this. And our word uh, today is justification. That's the word that we're thinking about today. So let's look at our Bibles in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 26. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, Since through the law comes a knowledge of sin. As you read the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament do for us? This is an important point. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. This is a really important point. Because a lot of Christians have it in their mind. Well, the Old Testament is, it's old, right? So I don't need that anymore. No, the Old Testament means the former testament, the former covenant. The covenant that used to have with God is now set aside because we now have a covenant in Jesus. It doesn't mean all that stuff is obsolete. It is a revelation of the holiness, righteousness, and will of God. That's what the Old Testament does. It gives us a knowledge of right and wrong. It gives us a knowledge of sin. So through the law comes a knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God, verse 21, has been manifested apart from that law. Although, of course, the law and the prophets, they testify to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ 
for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we notice that the word justification doesn't necessarily appear in the text that we looked at today. But what we see here are these three words. We see righteousness, and you see uh, just, and you see justified. All of these have the same root Greek word, which you don't need to remember. But I just want you to see when you see the word righteousness, just, justified in Romans, it's all the same word. It has a different flavor, and so it's sometimes translated differently. Um, so you, sometimes you'll get justified, sometimes you'll get just, sometimes you'll get justice, sometimes you'll get righteousness. But all of them have that core, core concept that God is just, which then presents us with the same problem that we, we can bring up there in verse 20, which is to say this, that we are not justified by the things that we do because none of us has done enough good things. In fact, none of us has really done any good things. All of them have come from selfish motivation. All of them have come with, with sidelong glances. All of them have had been twinged or tw- uh, tinged with, with, with evil, with our, our own evil thoughts and desires. And so there is no one that is just in the sight of God. And I think for some, for some reason, we, we also need to ask the question of why this matters so much. Uh, we don't take sin very seriously. As Jack pointed out, we sort of have this idea that we can all have our own, our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own way of looking at, at, at what God wants, and, and kind of you can go your way and I can go my way, and, and you know, it's just, it's just sort of wherever, wherever you think it lands. And, and that's not at all the way the scriptures describe who God is and what God is about. Sin matters, and I want to show you this morning why it matters so much before we we dive into how justification is applied to our lives, and it matters so much, look at verse um, 26. It was to show his righteousness, again, this is the same, same root Greek word, at the present time, so that he might be just. If you underline in your Bibles, I encourage you, this is an important sentence, that he might be just again the same word so that he might be righteous we could translate it that way that he might be just we could chance translate it also that way now remember with me that, that the bible often has a holistic understanding of words we have a very particular understanding of words because much of our lives are kind of bifurcated we, we have sort of areas well this is my home life and this is my my church life and this is my work life and i might act different in all three of those spots and, and that's just kind of the way that we, that we work in modern Western culture. The, 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 the Bible doesn't have as much more integrated understanding of the way uh, these, these words work. And so there is a core characteristic that we see here in God. That is this. God is just. Now remember with me that we also talked about God having wrath. Wrath is not a characteristic of God. It's not like a core, core characteristic of God. It is God's response to sin. So as we sin and participate in sin, the response from God is wrath. We might want to stop and ask the question, why? Why is God upset about sin? 
Why can't you just leave us be? We could just kind of go our own way and just, you know, why? Because core characteristic attribute trait of God is this. God is just. And a just Lord, a just king who oversees a vast kingdom, we might call it earth, his response must be, if he is just, to bring forward judgment against those who are unjust. You follow me? You with me? Okay. And so I want to look at this word, the just, in terms of God. And it it appears, I think, in two ways. First, we might call this the justice of God, the justice of God. We, we hold that word uh, dearly, uh, more and more dearly in, in modern society, I think for some very good reasons. And nothing brings us out uh, as much as I think right now the hot button issue, one of the hot button issues, the Black Lives Matter and, and, and All Lives Matter. And the question in these, these police shootings, is that shooting justified? Was it okay? Was it, was it right? Was it fair? We see this blowing up and bringing out bigger questions about the way that, that race works in America. Is it just? Is it fair? That's the question that everybody... Some are saying, no, it's unjust. And some are saying, yes, it is just. But that's the question. And we can see the importance. You see it in the playground, right, with kids playing. And you can see it in big social issues, the question of justice. And the answer, and this is good news, I think, for those of us a reality check and good news. The reality check is, check, the reality check, there he is, is there is no justice in this world. You're not going to get it. The good news is there is a God who will hold the world to account. And that God is just. That's the good news. If your hope is in the justice system, if your hope is in fixing things that are broken, just, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, just, it, you're going to, just, it's like banging your head against the wall, right? You're not, you're going to get nowhere. You might make a little bit of progress here, but it's all going to, because the world is broken. And it's always been broken, and it will continue to be broken until God comes again to fix it. And that's that good news that we see. And we see this all the way back in your Bibles, all the way back at the beginning, all the way back at Deuteronomy, that the, the scriptures are trying to push forward this and help us to understand we are under a just king. The scriptures say this, Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, is just one example. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. In other words, all of the stuff that humans make, all of the kings and presidents and CEOs and senators and all these, these things that we might sort of set up and we kind of play at and all these little gods that we have and these idols that we make, all this stuff that we're busy about, God says, it's balderdash. It's flumadiddle. Flumadiddle. That's a favorite word in the Calcutt house. And it is a real word. Flumadiddle. It, it's, it's, it's nonsense. God stands over all of it. He is great, he is mighty, he is awesome, and he is not partial, and he takes no bribe. You can't, you can't pay him off, you can't, one day when you stand before the judgment seat of God, you're not going to say, well, God, you know, you, know, I, you know, my family's good, and God will say, I don't care about your family. That sounded harsh, but that is not an excuse, right? He, he, he's not partial, he'll... He'll take no bribe. And what does he do? He executes justice for whom? For those 
who normally do not get justice. For the orphan who can't afford a bribe. For the widow who, who has no, no, no way to, to, to leverage her husband's potential or his, his position in society. Especially looking back at the Old Testament time where the, the husband was, it was a very patriarchal system there. You, you, you had no recourse to justice. But God, God executes justice for those who don't normally get it. And he loves the sojourner, the alien, the foreigner. And what does he do for that alien or that foreigner? sees that they have food and they have clothing. Why? Because he remembers and he calls Israel to remember. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. And remember how they treated you. And don't you dare turn and be like Egypt to those who are in your midst. I am a God of justice. Deuteronomy 34, 4. The rock is God. His work is perfect. His ways are justice a God of faithfulness, without iniquity, just, upright, is he. This is why injustice, why bribes, why corruption, why liars, why everyone who practices falsehood has no place in the kingdom of God. In fact, that is a direct quote from Revelation 21. As there's a big long list, the last thing is, everyone who practices falsehood, God hates that. We might make a stop and wonder because it seems like God should have bigger fish to fry, bigger sins in the world. And I think that is, in fact, one of our problems, one of the dangers in every church, whatever church you want to go to, this is the danger, that we become an echo chamber of condemnation. Those people out there who do the sins that we don't do, it's so much more fun, isn't it, to condemn other people? And to say, I can't believe they would do that. I can't believe they would support that. I can't believe that they would vote for that. I can't believe that they would allow that to happen. And we just kind of pat ourselves on the back and you can go home and feel good. And no one will question my you know, position and try to get me fired. Right? Everyone's happy. Now, this is not the compunctions of God. This is not the way that God judges the world. Woe, the scriptures say. And woe is not like, whoa, that's cool. Woe is like, whoa, you're doomed. Woe, woe to those who would seek to achieve power so they can set up petty kingdoms and set themselves up in that position and lord it over those who have been put under their authority. Woe to the politicians that do that. Woe to the judge who would allow race or gender or status or economic position. Woe to a system that would allow that kind of injustice. Woe to the judge who would act that way. Woe to those businesses whose scales do not equate, who don't balance, who don't pay fair wages, who withhold so that they can earn more and more and yet oppress those around them. Woe to the wealthy who eat like dives and see Lazarus at their doorstep and don't do anything about it. Woe to those of us who weep tears for the unborn but do not weep for the oppressed. Woe to those of us who have long moral lists but don't care about justice. God is a God of justice. I'll expect your phone calls Monday morning. God is also a God of goodness. 
He is morally upright and perfect. And so when we talk about the righteousness of God, we are talking about God's passion for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for those that everyone else pushes to the side and says, really, I'm not that interested in you. You have nothing to offer me, and I'll take what little bit you have so that I can put myself up. God is a God of justice, but he is a God of morality. My goodness, have we forgotten this. Ezekiel 18.20 puts it very simply. We don't need long Deuteronomy quotes here. The soul that sins shall die. Now in the Old Testament, death is a reference back to, uh, to Adam and, and Eve. And the message that, that, that the punishment of sin is death. And death is a punishment. If you've ever been in the room when somebody dies, it's a punishment. But as the, New, as the Old Testament is forced, especially the New Testament Jesus preaches, it, that isn't the end of it, for we also are called to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ. And in front of the judgment seat of Christ, he will not only look at our passion for justice, but he will look at our moral lives and will say, were you good? Were you fair? Were you good? And um, our answer is going to probably be no, right? No. I probably don't need to spend a lot of time talking about this because this is something um, churches like ourselves are, are pretty familiar with, with hearing about it. And so what I see as a mistake in wider society, and I'm begging you, church, to have better eyes and better ethics than the world, is that there's this strong push to right and left, strong push to quote-unquote conservative and quote-unquote liberal, and one is saying one focuses on the morality and one focuses on the justice. One says, you know, the, 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 the injustices, and we don't need to worry so much about that. And one says, ah, immorality, bah, don't worry about that. And God says, no, I am both. And the church, we should be better than, than the world and say, no, God sees the whole thing and he wants to redeem it all. He hates all of this. And so when we talk about the righteousness or the justice of God, when we read in, 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 uh, in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is being unveiled against men from heaven because of all of their ungodliness and all of their injustice, because by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth, we should see God in his full glory. His full righteousness, his full beauty and power. And we can see even in ourselves as a church here and as individuals here, as families, and say, man, we don't live up to that. And that's where this good news steps in. God says, I know. I know y'all are really broken. But, and there's a good, good but, right? He also desires to justify. Notice that in verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just because that's a characteristic of God himself. I must be just. And what do I want to do? I want to justify you. That is, God as the king, God as the judge, whatever metaphor you want to sort of envision there, God wants to say to the guilty person, you're not guilty. I I felt this really keenly when I was, a, I was a chaplain at a detention facility, and I would um, see these kids come through. Um, you usually keep about 
you know, like anywhere between 10 to 15 kids. It was a small facility, and, and they would be um, observed for about 90 days, and I would go, and I'd give Bibles, and we'd chit-chat, things like that, and I'd hear stories. Man, you'd hear such stories. You'd think, you'd think like a 15-year-old, you know? I mean, I just, anyway. I would get to know a few of the kids. There would always be, you know, a couple of them that were interested in talking with me, and they'd want to do Bible studies and things like that. And I, you know, I, I remember the first kid that I, you know, like, I love that kid. Like, he was, he was, he was good, um, but, man, just the brokenness. You know, no wonder the kid ends up selling drugs and, you know, you know doing things like that. And he just comes from so much brokenness. We're talking about, so he's just like, 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 common sense stuff. Like, that's wrong, dude. And he's like, oh, like, no one told me. You know, it's a, so we're having these conversations. And, man, I remember, I remember, um, I remember, so they would, they would send them, the kids would then go to see the, the judge, um, and then the judge would make a decision whether to send the kid back, back home, which is always a bad situation, that's why they were there, um, or they'd go up to Mountain City, which is where they had the, 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 the jail. I mean, it was a prison. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a prison. If you think kids' prisons are different than adult prisons, you're wrong. Um, if you think the things that you see in the movies that happen at adult prisons don't happen at kids' prisons, you're wrong. And, uh, and so he, he got sent to jail. They, they sent him up to the prison. I remember going up and visiting him there. And I just, man, I just, he, the, I mean, he's guilty. Like, there's no doubt he did exactly what they sent him to jail for. But I have never wanted in my whole life somebody to say, you're innocent. And I think maybe just in that small, it's like a very pale comparison to the glory of God. But if you can catch a glimpse of loving someone so much and knowing that they are guilty of that sin, they're guilty of that, that, that crime, and they deserve to go to jail, and the law says that's what has to happen. But imagine, just imagine if the judge got off of the bench and walked down and stood next to that criminal, stood next to you, and said, but I will take the sentence. That's what it means. For God to say, I am just, and I am also the justifier. I also call you innocent. Verse 23, for all have sinned. You might have memorized this, those of you who grew up in church. For all have sinned, and they have fallen short of the glory of God. That glory that we we're just talking about, the righteousness of God, all of that, all of that righteousness both the love of fairness and justice and the love of moral truth and, and, and moral rectitude, all of that bound up in God. God, we have failed, fallen short of the glory of God. And so what, what's the answer to that? It says in verse 24 that we have been justified as through grace, as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I look, look at verse 24 there. I love the word justified. Just for those of you, well, nope, Steve's not, Steve's not here, so it was only the two of us. But um, uh, this is in the passive tense, and that means it's happening to you. An active tense verb means that you are doing it. And so to be justified in this sense is to say that I am sort of standing there before God guilty. Like I don't have any recourse. I don't have any excuses. I don't have anything that I could say because like I was caught red hand. I know that that's true. And yet happening to me 
by his own grace as a gift that is unmerited, unearned, and undeserved, I receive the word justified. Now, this is uh, what we mean by the word justification. The fancy theological word for the day. Justification. That God who is holy and just looks at you and says, I say you are holy and just. Verse 25, why? Because God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. That is Jesus' blood. That was that fancy word from last week. Remember, propitiation. We receive justification. And this is going to be a heavy sentence. But we receive justification through the propitiation of Jesus Christ. We are called just by God because upon Jesus has laid the wrath and punishment and judgment of God. So that by his blood through faith you might be saved. We use the word saved, man. That word is so heavy. It is so glorious. It's so huge. It's, it's cosmic. And yet it's so personal, individual, and specific to very your seat right here, right now. Salvation through the justifying power of Jesus' own blood. Modern hymn. Christ alone, I like the hymn, it's probably been overplayed, but I never listen to the radio, so I don't, under, I don't feel that pain, so forgive me if it's been overplayed. But he says, uh, till on the cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid, so that here in the death of Christ, I can live. There's this great verse, I want to bring it up here, Second Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 21, and I, I hope you kind of see the wonder of this. And these, and these big words, I hope, bring forward the wonder of this justification, propitiation. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus, the perfect, and remember this in the Old Testament, in terms of the Old Testament, as sins were to be taken care of, the, the perfect spotless lamb was to be brought forward. You hang it up, you cut its neck, you let it bleed clean, right? You collect the blood and you put the blood, and the blood atones, the blood propitiates, the blood staves off the consequences of sin. This is what God did to Jesus. So that we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness. That perfect uh, expression of justice and moral rectitude is given to you because of the redemption found in Jesus' blood. We who were dead in our sins and trespasses, we who were called children of wrath, we were the enemies of God. Those of us who were sort of just in... If you've ever come to a moment of, of really meeting God, you know exactly what I'm talking about, but you just get a glimpse of how crooked you are. But this verse says, God declares you to be his righteousness. That's a really, that's a cool thought to me. And, and when we talked a little bit about this, I wanted to bring up just as a small point. We talked about this last um, Wednesday night. But what to me has been really cool as I've been pondering all of this is to think that when God declared me justified, when he said, you are, you are set right with me, not only did God forgive all of my past sins, there were a lot. 
But God looked forward and said, Jordan, I know how long you're going to live. And every one of those sins I have forgiven you for too. God who knows past, present, and future. None of our sins are hidden from him. If you stand justified before him today in the blood of Jesus through the washing and renewal of, of the spirit and through the waters of baptism and you have that faith that you've put in Jesus Christ alone, he looks at your whole life and he says, I know every thought, every motive, every emotion and every action and I declare you my righteousness. Now, I, I love that idea because I feel like this is eminently applicable uh, to our lives to think about what it would mean for us as a people to be called the righteousness of God. How could, it, how could it be said that we are the righteousness of God? I think first it would mean that we have to be a people that loves justice, that we have to care about that. I think primarily we care about that, because some of you are going to mishear me, by loving the church, by by making sure there is no favoritism, that there is no partiality, that there is no um, need unmet, that the church has a rich community of love for one another, caring for one another, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, seeking the lost and bringing them in, regardless of whether they fit cleanly, neatly, or whether they take a lot of effort and work. Bringing them in and loving them showing them the grace of God, a people that loves justice, just as God loves justice. James 2 talks a lot about this, about churches that sort of set things up so that you have a hierarchy of people who are really important, people who are really matter, and then the rest of the people are just going to right? That's not, that's not what we should do. Instead, we should be a people that loves justice. Secondly, we should be a people that love moral purity, uh, we should be striving after that. And I know all of us fall short in both of these areas, but, but we should be striving after that. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 says this, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Listen to that. A crooked and twisted generation. Have you turned the news on this week? Crooked and twisted generation. And, and th- th- he wrote this like 2,000 years ago. And today we look across and we say, man, it, 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 it's crooked and twisted still. Probably won't change tomorrow. But what you can do tomorrow is you can be different. You can shine like a light in the midst of that darkness. He says, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, how can your language be different? How can your action be different? How can you respond different? I was talking with uh, uh, Scott this morning, and he didn't give me permission to share the story, but I'm going to do it anyway. He's talking about uh, struggles that he's having um, with, with somebody uh, 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 and, and how he wants to respond in, in witnessing. That every time this person attacks him, he says, I'm a, I want to try to make it an opportunity for me to witness. I don't want to defend myself. I just want to witness. And I, I love that. I was like, that's, that's good, you know. Because everybody in your everyone, every one of us has somebody in our life that we're like, man, I could wring the neck, right? But what is the way of the cross? Is a way of humility, is the way of death. It is one where we say, I die to myself. I don't have anything to defend. In fact, this might get to the very last thing here. What are we, what could make us the righteousness of God? The righteousness of God in displaying our love of justice and displaying our love of fairness and are willing to listen to the other side, even if that other side's really wrong, right? 
being willing to listen, to hear out, to be fair and to be honest, and be, to be truth tellers, to be those kinds of people, to be the people who, who love purity and, and morality and justice and try to be holy and upright and watching what we say and, and, and do. But then recognizing, man, that we're flawed people and owning that and, and being willing to admit our imperfections and stop defending ourselves and stop always trying to make excuses and instead saying, you know what? Yeah, in fact, uh, Rich Mullins puts it this way. He says, all that, all that grace does is it shows that God ain't got no taste, right? And he doesn't. And that's the message of righteousness of God, that, that, that Jesus, through his blood, has taken those who, who don't deserve anything that he has to offer, and he has brought us in. He has washed us, he has clothed us, he has set us in his house, and he has said, you are my son, you are my daughter, you have a place in this home. Not by anything that we've done. And so we can own our imperfection. We can say, I'm striving to love justice. I'm striving to love moral purity. But if you catch me in a place where I have failed, all I can say is Jesus. Not as an excuse. Not as a uh, way of wiggling out of something. Not as a way of not accepting that critique and repenting of the sin. But as bearing witness to the world what the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of God looks like. He who became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. As we uh, close this morning, I want you to hold fast in your minds the, the word today, justification, which is made possible, our, our right standing before God, made possible because of the propitiation, because of Jesus who takes the wrath of God upon the cross and opens the door for us to stand before God justified. Jesus tells this parable, um, this parable, and, and you might have heard it before, but it's, it's wonderful. He tells a story about a, a person who is standing in church, good, good Christian person, baptized, been teaching Sunday school, you know, only Christian music, no rated R movies, Good person. Person stands up and calls out to God and serves and says, God, I thank you. I thank you that I vote no every time there's an election that I can say no to abortion. I thank you that I'm not like those terrible doctors and nurses at the abortion clinic. Thank you that I'm not a, a, a philanderer or homosexual. I thank you that I'm, I am not like those sinners over there who would fly over and join ISIS, you know, these terrible people. I just, I thank you that you have made me so good. And then there's a person who comes in. The Bible calls him a tax collector. I was racking my mind trying to think of what would be the closest thing to a tax collector. What would we hate enough that I could say tax collector? Because you say tax collector, and you're like, IRS, yeah, they stink. But, but you don't hate the IRS. I think the closest thing I could think of was somebody who would fly over and join ISIS. Somebody who would bomb, you know, something here. This, this person bowed their head this man beat his chest and says, woe to me.
a sinner. And Jesus said to all of these uh, people who are standing around, just like you are standing around, know their Bibles real well, and he says, I want to tell you, one of them was justified and one of them wasn't. And it was the one who was humble before God. Now you know why they crucified this guy, right? We are so quick. We are so quick to look at others and say, I'm glad I'm not like you. And there is a sense in which that's true. I, I, I would be glad that I'm not participating in something I know is sinful and brings uh, sorrow to God. And yet there is a pride there that is more deadly and more insidious because we can wear it on our hearts and no one will ever confront us about it. And so the scriptures declare to us, they plead with us, they entreat us to look upon the cross and to recognize that all of us are the same before God. None of us is better. None of us is more worthy. None of us is smarter. None of us is more deserving. God has chosen you. He has brought you into his house by his own grace. Not because of anything you've said or done, but because of his love. That he might be glorified. That he might be exalted. That he might have the name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and earth and under the earth would bow. And every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the real believer, the person who has real faith, says, Amen. Amen. All to Jesus. All to Jesus. I surrender all to Jesus, I owe. Nothing do I bring, but with open hands do we come before God. If you have not ever come before God to receive his grace and mercy, I plead with you. And if in this morning you say, I've been a Christian, I've done all the right things, but I see pride in my heart, I pray and plead with you to kill it. And to see and salvation of Jesus Christ. We will have an elder down front here if you need to come forward and you need somebody to to pray with you, to, to walk with you. If you have questions, we invite you to come forward for that too or see us after. Be transformed today by the grace and unmerited favor of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's stand and sing.